Hello and welcome to the season three of Learning That Sticks podcast. I'm Mark Williams from GiraffePad, the learning platform for learning journeys. In this podcast series, I am chatting with experts from around the world of learning and development, exploring with them their different ideas, techniques, their methods, their magic source, if you like, for creating learning solutions that truly stick. And in this first episode of season three, I am delighted to welcome back Hayley Bird and Erica Farmer from Quantum Rise. Erica, Hayley, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Mark, and thank you for having us back. Yeah, it's great to see you both. But I can't believe it's season three already. You were on. You were early on in season one previously. We were. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. there you go. Doesn't time yeah. fly? <laughs> time absolutely flies. So, listen. There's a small possibility that some of our listeners didn't listen to season one. So it would be great before we get into all the sticky stuff if the two of you could maybe introduce yourselves and give us a bit of a background as to what you're doing with, with Quantum Rise. Yeah, fantastic. So, um, yeah, Erica Farmer. So I'm the business director and co-founder of Quantum Rise Talent Group. Um, we work with corporates, learning and development teams, talent teams, and typically apprenticeship training providers to review their digital learning strategies and provide them support and help them get from good to great. So uh, very much operate in the virtual learning space. And we've been, as you can imagine, really busy over the last couple of years on that. Um, and actually, I, both Hayley and I have been involved in digital learning for quite a number of years now. Um, and actually, we're we're kind of in that funny space now at the moment where we're talking to L&D and providers around what's next. So quantum rises on a slight change as well but uh yeah great to be back here again and talking about what does the future of digital look like fantastic yeah. thank you erica Haley. yeah so um Haley bird i'm the delivery director at quantum rise so um echo obviously everything that erica said um and i suppose the main aim for me is really keeping up with what's happening and moving forward with what's happening as it happens because you know it'd be very easy for us to take some of the content and the tips and tricks that we use and we share um, but they're moving forward so quickly so I'm always reviewing what I'm actually sharing with people and how I'm helping organizations to make sure that it's always pushing forward all the time because that's what's going to happen um, and equally just putting the learner at the heart of everything that we're doing and it's amazing um, how much learning we still see that really kind of is, is a bit of a content dump or a knowledge dump so uh, so I'm really trying all the time to just find ways that's adapting to not only the learner but how organizations are wanting to to operate their businesses whether it's hybrid whether it's um, more face-to-face whether it's virtual and and moving and looking for new solutions to support that change really keeping the heart, the learner at the heart of everything so yeah so that's 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 where I am that's where my head's at at the moment what can we do to move forward well, I mean, Hayley, that, that sings to my heart because anything that keeps a learner at the very heart of it, you know, and it's interesting that over the last few years, I mean, you two have obviously been involved digital for much longer than that. But for a lot of people in the world of learning, the last two years has really been their digital revolution, hasn't it, where they've had to adapt and get used to it. Um, but it's easy, it's, it's easy to stand still sometimes, isn't it? And I love this idea that you want to move from good to great in the digital space. Uh, and I'm really curious as well, because, you know, my background is less digital, ironically, because I'm now a software owner. Um, but, you know, my traditional background is face-to-face delivery. And um, the idea that, you know, previously, the idea of a lot of digital learning wouldn't have had the learner at the heart of it. It was very much about content, wasn't it? Mm. So I'm intrigued about the journey you're going to push us all on and help facilitate us towards <laughs> where, you know, we really maximise the use of, of the, the digital options that are out there, but keep that learner at the heart of it. Mm-hmm. So Erica, start us off. Where's the starting point? How, how, you know, what's the move from good to great here? What's yeah. 
I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm not unknown for saying fairly controversial things every now and again and being a bit kind of outspoken. And we, I think we all, all kind of as HR practitioners, L&D talent, OD practitioners, will put our hands up to say that either we've experienced or we've created or curated, potentially, um, learning that has been from our agenda or from our organization's agenda. And that could be something like compliance, mandatory health and safety, GDPR, you can name those 10 modules that you will have to do when you start an organization. You think, oh God, you know, read, click, read, click, read, click. Can I get 80% to pass the module so it's no longer sat on my LMS nudging me to do it? There, and, and, you know, Haley and I have talked for a long time around the benefits of things like engagement and interaction on individuals' application into the role, motivation from training provider's perspective their big thing is progression getting them through their qualifications and their standards and their apprenticeships so why do we then therefore put non-engaging non-interactive e-learning content uh boring compliance type stuff in front of people and expect them to understand and retain more importantly that knowledge and, and you know we you know, we'll call it tick box, right? Because that's kind of a, a, thought, a term that most people know. And, and you know, we, there's got to be a better way for this stuff. And we, we know we've taken the live interactive teams and Zoom virtual classrooms and blended learning. We're starting to do this with hybrid learning, taking it to a really excellent space. Um, and I guess our challenge is really to understand what does that look like in the kind of... Um, asynchronous space the distance space the self-serve space because again there's got to be a better way right than just read rinse repeat or you know whatever you want to call it so 100 and, and Haley, i'd be interested in your view on this because if i'm really honest deep down somewhere in my sort of gut feeling it's like the the way that you bring the learner to the fore of this and the way that you make it about them and less about the content is obviously to bring the facilitator in, to bring the human element in and, you know, that's almost that traditional view that if the facilitator isn't involved, it is that boring tick box, rinse and repeat process, isn't it? Yeah. So, so yeah. What, how, how, do, how do we do this, Hayley? Yeah, it's a great question, Mark. And um, I've had some really interesting conversations about this lately, but it, there is going to be a difference between how you access and, and what you do in the live virtual training space, because you've got the facilitator there to be able to facilitate great questions, great conversations, application, and all of that is starting to happen. But what you're doing naturally is you're reducing the length of time you're spending in the classroom when you do it virtually, because you can't spend a whole day in a virtual classroom like you might do face to face. So there's going to be chunks of content now that we're having to look at our delivery and say, actually, there's chunks of content here that people can access from a distance. Um, so we're we're starting to bring in more of a blended approach um, and it's that if that distance learning isn't very good um, and your and your and your virtual training is great then it just doesn't tie up it doesn't sit right so one of the concepts that we're looking at with distance learning isn't so much about the what it's actually about the how how do people access this because some people might like to go back to the traditional e-learning reading of information processing information and and that works for them but there'll be so many people out there that might want to go for a walk at lunchtime and listen to it on a podcast or you know they might want to access it in a different way they might want to try out some different scenarios and see which one works for them um, in, in, a, in a distance learning sort of self-learn space so I think it's going to be much more about actually let's look at a number of solutions because different solutions will work for different people. So it will be as much about the content and what we're sharing with learners as it will be about actually how they 
get how they get to it and how they access it. It's interesting because um, one thing, you know, any of us involved in learning, whatever whatever medium we might be talking about, one of the sort of like golden egg moments for us is when the participants themselves, the learners themselves, take responsibility for their own learning, isn't it? And so we as facilitators or organisers or designers can just do the facilitation and enable them to thrive rather than having to almost force the learning down their, down their necks, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so I guess giving that variety and giving all those different mediums, you're more likely to attract in them taking responsibility for it because it might be something that actually appeals to them and it, or it fits their lifestyle, work style at that moment in time. Yeah. And that's what organisations are doing. You know, so many organisations are trying to encourage people to take time out in the middle of their day. And, you know, why not use that time productively? And it's trying to link the objectives of work, whether that's learning or performance objectives or whatever it might be, into a more flexible way of working from home or even more flexibility in the office. So how do you how do you get this in, in embedded in an organisation like this? Because again, if we're really honest, there's not you know the, the organisations that have really strong learning cultures where there is 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 at the forefront of it are are still fairly rare. Mm. And so you know you could have all this amazing varied ways of accessing learning, but if the instinct isn't to go and find it, uh, and I'm going to use one of your quotes from earlier, Haley, when we were chatting before we started recording about this idea of googling something because you need a solution, if that instinct isn't there in the organisation, that kind of provides a bit of a barrier surely to this Mm. Erica yeah so I I think you know we all know when you upgrade your iPhone it doesn't come with a big fat manual or a training course on how to use it you know we start playing with the iPhone or like Hayley says we we I'm not sure too sure about how I access iTunes or whatever let me just have a quick Google or a YouTube or whatever it might be so that on-demand content is absolutely key but the reason why you go onto google or youtube is there's a whiffum factor there's a what's in it for me i need to use my phone i need to fix my washing machine i need to understand what the boiler code is you know all of that stuff's practical easy access digestible light bite and if you use those kind of frameworks as principles then you then you're not going far wrong so there needs to be a burning platform. And this relates to learning management systems as much as anything else as well. You know, I've been in various L&D roles in big companies where they've gone, da-da, here's an amazing LMS. And the employees have gone, so what? I still have to log on once a year and do my compliance training. That's my association. There's no burning platform. And I remember my boss, Holly Herkett, it, it spec savers being really passionate about how do we as an SLT define that burning platform? Why should you go and log on to that and do learning? You know, what is my golden circle? What is my, how does it link to who I am as a person? So I think sometimes we're too transactional, like here's an LMS, here's some content, tick box, here we go. But actually, I think we need to think wider than that. So I was having a great conversation with the leadership development lead for a very large hardware company and um and she said and she got it and she was she was already thinking in that space and she said to me but Erica if we're doing a podcast and a light bite and an e-learn and a resource and a this how do I sell that in terms of budget as six things that I need to go and sell and I said well interestingly we don't position it as six things we position it as one thing with the learner at the heart and choice and empowerment and personalization and all these words that we're using post-pandemic that employees are looking for 
But actually, if you think about getting into this cycle of defining the, the why, the golden circle, the what's in it for me, then it's a no brainer to be able to produce something that people are actually going to want to access and more importantly, do something with then actually going and commissioning a couple of thousand pounds on an e-learning module that no one's going to access. So it, it becomes like how you position it and how you get your own head around that stuff. Cause she was in absolutely in the right place. Her barrier was how do I go and ask for the budget for this stuff? Mm. And I guess we forget the end in mind at times, don't we? It's well, process, isn't it? Sorry, Mark. Yeah. It, it comes back to how am I going to fit this into the existing process? And, you know, we see that happen all the time. And this is, and, and as Erica said, this is what employees are asking for. Um, so it's the organisation's benefit to provide that kind of opportunity for people to do it. Um, and again, it's knowing, well, why am I doing it? It's because I've got something coming up that I need this for. So it's the making it really, really relevant and understanding the impact for, for people getting it right and I think that's where the live training comes in because if you're providing a really nice live opportunity to discuss the impact if you can get this right what will the impact be for you what will be the impact for the organization for the individuals you're working with and understanding that piece then gives that need to ah, uh, yeah okay I can go and access this content and actually I can do it how I want to and where I want to and actually that that really resonates with me that in many ways some of this can be standalone it might be a nice simple easy solution someone's looking for or a point in the right direction but actually a lot of it as well might be let's get all of the understanding of the knowledge and the ideas done before you use a live time so that actually if you've got that precious time of a facilitator you can do the really understanding the embedding the practicing rather than having to introduce content on a on a zoom session which just is it's simply a waste of time yeah. um one question this leads me to so i love this idea of a varied content you know we're not talking about just e-learning modules you're talking about podcasts you're talking about all sorts of stuff in there yeah. so is this um would you see this as being different mediums that you would create yourself or are you just curating from all over the world like wherever those resources might be does that matter does it have to be all curated internally if you like or by yourselves and I think that's a mindset shift in itself for L&D because we, we like kind of getting onto PowerPoint and spending weeks and weeks designing <laughs> stuff from fresh when actually there is a bunch of stuff out there and I was reading a great piece on LinkedIn the other day around just how to curate great resource and knowledge and learning from the YouTubes of the world and Vimeo and what else it might be and actually that might meet the need so I guess it comes back to the end in mind again what is it that you want people to do differently or what the problem statement is and actually Hayley and I with some of our clients we'll run a, a virtual classroom and actually there's always some signposts to some free content that's been curated to add value or for those people who want to go and do a bit more thinking or reading around that there's something else for them so I, I think it's like what I call I tend to bulk it under kind of resources as a header um you sometimes you create them sometimes you curate them sometimes there's a bit of both I guess isn't it mm. I think there's a I mean I, I love the advantage of however we try to be creative if we're designing things ourselves we, we have a certain tone of voice if you like don't we we have a certain approach and attitude so I like the variety of of um 
tones, if you like, that might come from selecting podcasts from over here or a YouTube video from over here, a, a, you know, a blog post from over here on something or whatever that might be, a TEDx speech from over here, because then that, that variety also sparks hopefully conversation and thought if you get together in the live session, doesn't it? Yeah. And here's another example as well. Um, and it's t- taken slightly away from learning, but another idea of how we use content and research at the time of need, um, and that's when it becomes useful, um, is my daughter suffers with bouts of insomnia and and long story short, that I would never have gone off and looked at on Google around child insomnia, um, you know, just for the sake of it. But when I needed the support, I reached out for it um, and I got some really useful links back. And I went in and I looked at all of the links, all of the resources, asked questions about it and learned more about it and implemented some of the solutions. So it's again, it goes back to that. Let's share all this stuff, but let's do it at a time when there's a problem statement or there's a challenge or there's something that needs to be learned. And I think that's when it then becomes really applicable and whether that's external content that that people that we're signposting to because this is great and you can find more about it here or whether that's Erica and I and our team pulling together bespoke learning resources to meet the need of a more specific organisational challenge that would depend on on what that need was I think. I think that um in the moment learning is so crucial and all of us I mean I say all of us I'm hoping there's people listening to this episode we'll, <laughs> I'm we'll sure definitely, there is Mark no, we're I'm, having a great chat <laughs> I, know, yeah. I, I am sure all of us reflect on a moment when we're we're facilitating a session and that sort of dawning moment arrives when you realise that the people you work with are going to have absolutely no opportunity to practice this or put it into place for months ahead and you, you know, you, you almost have this sort of tumbleweed moment going through the Zoom or the rooms, and it's like, really, <laughs> why are we doing this right now? Um, and that idea, like you said, for for your um, for the insomnia research is, I need this right now, and I can do something with it right now, is at the heart of learning, isn't it? And having that in the moment uh, access to something useful. Yeah. That's your intrinsic motivation that we talk about in HR, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's your kind of drive to go and do something and want to put something into place rather than your manager telling you that you have to do that. I mean, how powerful mm-hmm. is that? You know, com- mm-hmm. it's so impactful, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, it comes back to that point I made about the responsibility, isn't it? You know, Hayley, you're not going to delegate out to somebody else to go and research on that insomnia. It's your, it's your daughter. Yeah. You know, you need that here and now, and it's totally your role to do that. Um, and for me, that's such a utopian moment when learners, you know, even in something far less important than resolving insomnia in, in your child, whether it's a, a difficult conversation or some GDPR stuff, whatever it might be, taking responsibility to upskill yourself and, and build your knowledge that can then maybe lead to a good conversation in a, in a facilitated session is is um, hugely powerful. And sometimes it's no good saying to somebody, oh, that's okay, I'll book you on to this virtual classroom in a month's time, um, because then all of a sudden it's irrelevant, you know? So mm. it's being able to provide immediate here you go, and if this is still happening and still a problem for you, there's also a live virtual classroom in a month's time where you can work through some of this. So and and it goes back to that problem um, and and the need to look for solutions and when. Absolutely, and you know, and I'm, we don't need to get into technology, but I'm sure there's technology out there that you know. If I'm in an organisation, and I go and say I really need help with this difficult conversation, and I find a great podcast on it or a blog post. Hopefully, there's links to other people that have accessed it recently, so you can you know you can, again take that responsibility of peer to peer learning and reach out to actually Erica. I can see that you looked at this recently. What did you get from it? You know, how did you get on with that conversation that you had? And so again, it's. That, that taking responsibility for finding other people that are going through it rather than relying on the L&D team to orchestrate some solution for you. 
Yeah. Mm, mm. And, you know, the, the next stage of the inter- internet and all that fun and games is going to be Web.3.0, 3, isn't it? Which is all going to be about decentralization, lack of control, lack of ownership. You know, how do we, you know, set things up that there's still a quality assurance element of people accessing quality content, but not being that L&D ivory tower that wrap our claws around everything and you can only do something if I say so. And I know we're most L&D teams we work with are somewhere in between that. But actually, we, you know, L&D is typically still the guardians of learning. And it, it should be, as an individual, you should be a guardian, a guardian of your own learning, really. And I think that's where we truly become a learning organization and a learning culture is when L&D is very, very light touch on all of this stuff and actually plays a more strategic role in quality assurance and the strategy that sits around things rather than creating you know, an e-learning module on GDPR or running programmatic responses to everything. Well, and if I'm honest as well, I think it, not even just internally in organisations, for those external training providers and facilitators, mm. the idea of being light touch is something that really appeals to me as well, is it's not all about them as a guru of knowledge that you yeah. have to spend time mm. with them. They're there simply to you know, encourage and enable and nudge fantastic learning experiences so that people get the performance outcomes yeah. they want, don't they? So yeah. that leads me to a question as well. For I mean, this is this could be to either of you, is, um, I think a lot of people will get the sense that in a big organisation with a reasonable budget and good technology, they can start to create this kind of library of resources and, and, and great access in the moment in time. What about those external training providers? I mean, there isn't really a barrier to them creating this great content that can support the facilitated sessions they do necessarily, is there? Um, my view on that is it's down to mindset. Mm. It's really what you make it yourself. And I know that sounds a little bit cheesy, But actually, going back to your point around curating rather than creating and actually knowing, like, you know, we we see on things like on LinkedIn, like everyone's a critic of PowerPoint, for example. You hear death by PowerPoint. You hear this. Actually, PowerPoint for us is one of the most reliable tools that we use. It's just about how you use PowerPoint and the graphics and the principles that sit behind creating interactive, effective PowerPoints and not your little kind of 1990s dancing men off clip art, which you see on, you know, all the watermarks that someone snipped off a page that's not got any, you know, uh, rights to be used and all that kind of stuff. So, Again, it's it's principles of effective learning, creation and curation, rather than um, I need to go and spend a hundred grand on a content library. And, and I think this is what I mean. And I'd pick up on a point you made right at the beginning, Haley, about um, really any form of learning. There's almost no excuse for it not being properly blended. And so as an external facilitator, you might be used to running your virtual sessions or your in-person session now that we're allowed to do those again. Um, but either side of those or between them and to support them and to get people started and to get people finished, there's opportunity. You, know, you don't need to have um, a, a huge budget to go and search for podcasts or, or YouTube videos or blog posts that can support this, do you? Absolutely. And it needs to be something which is accessible and not something which takes time or you come to do it once. It doesn't work. So I'm going to leave, put it back to the bottom of my list. And I'll talk from experience in that in that area, because I'm very much like if I, I need to do this now and if something comes up and it and it 
delays me by 20 minutes I haven't got time to do it now anymore you know it's now gone into another slot um so if something if your login's not working or your password doesn't work or something like that things like that can get really frustrating for people so it's about just being able to get on so you stop moving it to the bottom of your to-do list and actually something that you want to do and you can do in the moment and it's really accessible and I think as we curate more more content using things like YouTube or you know TED Talks whatever we we refer people to they can just get on it and do it um, when they need to do it and then they can go away and apply it so I think there's an element of that and ease of access as well which I'm hoping some of this will will bring and we're definitely wanting to bring that as a big priority um, as well I have a little mantra around this is that learning should be challenging but accessing it should be easy but also with that in mind I like that I think the variety element is key here as well because for example, as a, as a facilitator or the learning practitioner, you might love podcasts and think podcasts are wonderful. So I'm going to put a whole load of podcasts around so that my learners can access them. You might have someone who really doesn't like listening to podcasts or, or doesn't sort of have that those moments in time, like the walk to the station or the run on the seafront or whatever it might be when they can listen to a podcast. And they might prefer to watch video content or to read something. You know, I know I don't spend a lot of time reading big, meaty blog posts, but other people absolutely relish them. And so actually creating the variety also helps with ease of access, I think, doesn't it? Definitely, definitely. And even things like imagine being a imagine having a scenario in your head and you don't know how it's going to pan out and being able to log on and play with that in a virtual environment. So you're putting in different solutions and you're getting different outcomes. And some people want to learn in that really tangible way as well, where they can try things and practice things. So being able to to access things, you might listen to somebody else who's had that experience. You might read a blog about someone who's had the experience. You might want to have the experience yourself. Um, So, yeah, that variety just will, will hopefully really enrich people's learning, but also make them engage with it more and want to do it and apply it more and, and there's there is a place for relearning and, and SCORM or HTML or how, however you're going to create it we're not we're not saying there isn't but whether whether where we would question is is the uh, it, it, do have you put the learner at the heart of that so I don't know about you but I remember as a kid being absolutely enthralled with choose your own adventure books I used to love them like that's all I wanted for Christmas and you get to a certain page, you were the knight going to, you know, save the maiden or the maiden going to save the knight or whatever it might be. And then you'd get to a certain page and you'd go to page 36 if you were going to fight the, the dragon or you were going to go to page 32 if you ran away from the dragon. You know, and actually that what that taught you at the time was things like decision making and the impact of your actions and um, critical thinking skills and analysis and those kind of things. And actually building content that enables you to not just understand you know thinking of our hierarchies but actually to critique and make decisions around that learning really comprehend and be able to apply that surely is you know aiming towards performance rather than just knowledge so you know from our perspective content will be built where you need to make decisions around your impact and your ownership of things rather than just reading and, and, and clicking boxes. Mm-hmm. So it's just challenging ourselves in regards to the methodology that sits behind these things as well. And I think you can you can tap into all that. I mean, the way you described those books when you're younger, and I, I'm going to show my age now, I'm thinking, I'm not even thinking back to my youth, but something my son plays on, on his computer games would be often he'll go into the story-based games like Assassin's yep. Creed or something where they have to choose the different scenarios that they're going to be in and then track through various tasks and actions in order to achieve whatever they need to rather than just shooting it on site as, as some of the other games seem to be. And bringing that game-based element into some of the learning solutions, like you said, so that 
it's not a tick and point and tick and point and go to the next screen. They actually make choices and learn from those choices and realise the impact of those choices. Um, again, I think that would appeal to that, that with impact you're talking about. What's in it for me? Well, you're actually going to enjoy this as well. It's not just going to be, you know, it's not just going to be knowledge transfer. It's going to be enjoyable as well. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And you know, some of these like um, gamings, learning gaming simulations that you see, there's some amazing thinking out there. And this, I guess, this is the precursor to things like metaverse and stuff like that. But this is still not quite accessible financially for many organisations. And going back to your point around freelancers and you know smaller training companies and stuff, you know, this, this is big money. It's a, it's amazing stuff but it's big money. So how can we bring something that's mid-market that isn't kind of £80,000, £100,000, you know, that, that you're going to get a similar outcome uh, to and really engage people in? That's kind of the challenge that we've got. Yeah, yeah I think there's a challenge, but I, I do think as well there's even lower than that. I mean, I, the, the great thing about if you're involved in any kind of aspect of learning where you do any of the design work, when you do the facilitation, you tend to be quite creative. You know, you come up with solutions and ideas. And I think there's there's ways you can create resources uh, without needing a big budget, without needing a fortune behind it, that can still meet the need in the moment of, of an, an individual. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's some amazing toys out there. Absolutely. But I think that sometimes that detracts from it a little bit that it becomes a shiny new toy doesn't it rather than actually what is the novelty of it yeah Yeah. definitely and and it goes back to having the infrastructure in place to host it all doesn't it Mm. like erica said we're just not there yet i mean think about um 3d tvs they you know never took off and you know because people just didn't have the need to have 3d glasses or whatever it was so it's trying to implement something that there is actually a need for and can be held and hosted in an accessible way that people can access and that that's how learning has to be accessed is just in a way that's that's convenient really and interesting yeah and i think the access is, is such an important part to it the minute you make it slightly challenging to get there unfortunately for most of us as learners we take a step back don't we and, and yeah. we kind of dismiss it almost and say that's not the right thing for me right now so you know for example Haley, if you'd had to jump through four different uh, account signups to find the information on insomnia your motivation might have gone back to google yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) but interestingly Um, that's what happened to that learning module that you needed to do right the the, i don't think you ever ended up doing purely because you just couldn't even access it you know but it was so important that this thing happened but it wasn't important enough to give you the proper access or journey to get into it yeah absolutely yeah crazy crazy so something i want to pick up on here is because we've we've talked a lot about variety and we've talked a little bit about quantity and not just having a single option having you know lots and lots of options so we want quantity of resources but it's also got to be quality hasn't it and without the budget constraint in there it has to be quality as well as quantity we don't want to have poor quality resources in there just for the sake of having lots of different options do we no no yeah you go for it Heidi. Yeah, the resources, um, the resources have to be high quality because that's how you gain people's sort of trust and engagement in them, I think, is if they look and feel um, that they belong, but also that they actually answer the question that's being asked. So it's all very well bundling all these resources on. No one's going to look through it all. So it's finding and matching the learning outcome, I think, and what you're actually, what are you going to get out of this piece of learning? Here is one or two resources that meet this need. So it's almost providing more specific outcomes and aligning those more closely to resources 
resources and just bundling a load of resources mm-hmm. on there because they just become um, useless. You know, we've probably all being learning professionals. We've probably all gone out there and looked for big packages of learning content. You know, what's what's out there that I can do? There's people that bundle it up and sell it in packages. And often you might go to two or three things out of maybe 100 programs that you've got, the things that are relevant, the things you need to be able to build on and change and amend. So quality of content is is obviously just critical in this and it won't take much if you're if you're embedding this in your organization it won't take much for learners and employees to come wise to the fact that it's not very good quality so they might jump on it in the beginning because this looks great it's accessible it does all those it's there's a great variety all those things we've talked about but oh I've done two modules now and I wouldn't bother it's a waste of time and then your whole strategy falls so it's interesting listening to that Hayley and and it made me reflect on however good quality we make this and how well constructed the 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 resource itself is um there's still a part around helping people be really good quality learners isn't and understanding that if you're going to take responsibility for learning just thinking that this resource this game this podcast this blog post is going to do it for you as opposed to you need to know what it is you want to get out of it. You need to know that you need to practice with this after as possible. You need to reflect on what it means for you. Those kind of core elements of learning almost need to be in place as well. So, for example, if we want a, a live workshop or a virtual workshop, we'll do some work with them as to how they can get the best out of that, won't we? And it almost needs to be the same for the asynchronous learning, doesn't it? The self-directed learning isn't about I've made it, you're sorted, you're fixed, just read this and you get all of your problems are solved they still need to learn and know how to learn with it, don't they? Yeah, that's the elephant in the room is learning how to learn. Mm. And, you know, you know, I remember when I did my degree at uni and there was some stuff around comprehension and being able to understand reading and writing, a, how to write a dissertation and stuff like that. But actually, I think we need to bring that into the workplace and really understand And I'm not talking about learning styles because I know there's a whole load of kind of debunked stuff around that now, but just purely around to to move that from the short term to the long term memory. I need to do something with it, you know, and stuff like that. And we we do a lot of that in the virtual space now. I think we're cottoning on to that stuff now. But you need to have a framework. And again, it goes back to the whole thing around, you know, the, the I guess the golden thread of this podcast around having the learner at the centre of digital learning. Maybe I've just given us a title right there by, <laughs> by saying that, the golden thread of. Um, but actually having a framework of stuff that we know works. If you engage your learner and give them an opportunity to do something with it, they're more likely to apply. Principle number one. Principle number two, make it easy to access and interact. You know, so we're not, you know, writing war and peace on this or making it super difficult. And we know this stuff, but actually it goes back to doing that extra piece of thinking around how do we find the with them? Yeah. How do we create it? And, you know, really thinking about it, you know, any any induction process, any, any onboarding of anyone into the business, or any recruitment spec list for an individual at the top of that, I think if I was recruiting right now, the number one skill I'd want is the ability to learn before anything else. And if someone was a really, really accomplished learner, then everything else is a bit like dominoes, isn't it? It's all going to fall into place pretty rapidly. Yeah. And you see stuff like that coming out of, you know, the the, the World Economic Forum skills for jobs you know, future of jobs reports and things like that. That, that I think it's kind of le- learning agility, they call it, don't they? Mm. And critical thinking are, and, and then followed closely by emotional intelligence, I think is kind of your top, your top three, because you're right. You can learn the knowledge, you can receive the feedback around saying it this way and not that way and all that kind of stuff. But if I can't learn 
and then do something with it or be okay with failing at something and changing my approach then that's why we've got a problem mm. and that goes back to my this pass or fail mindset with learning doesn't it and that need to pass to succeed um, and that to me just feels really outdated and quite bizarre a lot of the virtual workshops we run an upskill people come back for a teach back they come back and you know deliver back a session based on all the principles we've gone through and one of the the big sort of things I put around that is I say when you come back don't come back with something you've done before or something you feel comfortable with um, come back with something that you're likely to make a mistake when you deliver and giving that them that acceptance to fail and this isn't about coming in and being assessed and marked and passing this is actually about coming in and making a mistake because you've tried something new and that's a real mindset people feel quite uncomfortable with that because they want to come back and smash it mm. um, so there's a real mindset shift there as well I think well and you know that's embedded in us all the way from school isn't it so all the way for our education system it's all about hitting certain grades or passing certain things getting a certain score in any assessment that you're given the irony is if you get 90% an assessment, how much have you actually learn? If you get 30%, I mean, that sets up, certainly if you're a committed learner, that sets the alarm bells going, thinking, oh, <laughs> um, failing and making those mistakes is at the heart yeah. of learning, isn't it? Getting 100% doesn't really, will rarely teach you a great deal at all. Hayley and I were talking about this the other day. I did really well in my GCSEs, but I didn't, I didn't really apply what was learned in GCSE physics or chemistry. I could regurgitate the <laughs> equations and, and get good scores in, in the exams, but did it set me up for anything in terms of life skill? I would argue maybe not, you know. So it goes back to what are we setting up our future workforce for? And again, going back to the uh, you know, Economic World Forum, 65% of kids aged 5 to 11 will go into jobs that don't even exist yet. So how are we preparing those kids for that? You know, it doesn't even exist yet. We're not even talking about robotics and AI. We're talking the stuff after that. And interestingly, the guy who created GCSEs, I can't remember his name, he was on GMB this morning talking about why GS, GCSEs, and this was 35 years ago they brought them in, why they're not applicable for today's kids. And and they were interviewing this guy, I can't believe you're now saying that you invented GCSEs and you're now saying that they're not right. And it's like, well, things change. Of course he's going to say that. You know, it's it, people really struggle with that change of methodology and mindset. And I think in LND, we've got really good opportunity to role model to organisations, particularly in digital transformation, actually what the art of the possible is. So rather than spending our time designing programs and delivering 16 week onboarding content and with a bunch of stuff that you don't even need to know until two years into the job, actually, let's think about how we make a real impact and role model this stuff. Um, so we've got stakeholders, the organization left, right and center coming to us going, that was brilliant. How do we do it in my area? Because that's, that's the gold chalice, right? That's where we want to be. Absolutely. And and Erica, just so you know, you just made me feel very old because I was the first year of GCSE. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever you designed, I was the, first, the very first year of, of experiencing those changes. Because, of course, in those days, it felt fairly modern compared to the old style O-levels. But O-levels, uh, yeah, time, yeah, has, yeah. time has absolutely moved on. I mean, we could have a whole discussion about, you know, if you think of the national curriculum as its design, how much is a learner at the heart of that? Or oh, how God, much we talk about this every day. Yeah, let, let, let's go. not go there. We, we'll save that for season. Season four. <laughs> four. We'll come back again for that one. <laughs> Listen, as always, Eric and Haley, it is such a pleasure talking to you. And I, I've really, really enjoyed this because 
Um, yes, the world of digital in terms of learning is racing ahead of a lot of us, um, but there is so much we can all do to embrace what's there. Uh, and I love the fact that it's not digital that's the heart of learning. It's still the learner that's the heart of it, and we can just utilise what's around us and all of the new interventions to make that uh, a better experience, or to use your phrase, uh, from good to great, obviously. Erica Haley, thank you so much for joining us as always. I am sure you'll be back in season four or five if I can get there. Talk about the national <laughs> um, curriculum. <laughs> yeah, no, no, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Um, no, I'm sure uh, listeners might want to find out a bit more about you. Where, where do you two hang out? Where's the best way of, uh, of finding you and contacting you? Brilliant. Yeah. So uh, quantumrise.co.uk is the website and there is um, a bunch of free resources talking about curating resources and blogs and thought pieces. There's a bunch of stuff on there. Please go and have a look and it'd be great to get people's feedback on that. And we're both on LinkedIn um, as well as per the usual uh, LinkedIn profiles. And yeah, anybody got any thoughts, questions, queries, um, if they're thinking about this stuff in their organisation, we're always love to have a chat about this stuff. But not maybe the national curriculum. We'll leave that. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, listen, we'll share those details on the show notes anyway. Um, thank you once again for joining me and sharing all of your insights and knowledge. And if anyone wants to catch up with us, they can find me on LinkedIn at markandgiraffepad.com. And, and uh, thanks again for listening to this episode. Bye for now. Bye.